Will you please turn with me in your Bibles this morning, once again, to the third chapter of Paul's letter written to the Romans, where we are still looking together at that same group of verses, beginning with verse 21 and reading through verse 26. Romans chapter 3, 21 through 26. You can find it on page 1106 in your pew Bibles. So this morning we are beginning what is the third of four sermons on this very crucial portion of this letter written to the Romans. Our focus this morning will primarily be on verse 24. So far we've looked together at that epic transition that begins here in the 21st verse of this third chapter with those two loaded little words, but now. After two and a half chapters of establishing the bad news that all of us, all of mankind in fact, stands condemned by the law of God, that as condemned we are all liable to receive the full punishment under the law, the very wrath of God being poured out upon us. We are in desperate need of the wonderful good news which follows those two precious words, but now. Paul begins to unfold this good news for us by making really a rather surprising statement. A statement, in fact, that I would tell you that we must come to grips with if we are ever to receive this good news for what it is that truly, that we truly, if we're ever to receive this good news for what it is and truly live as those who really appreciate it. He says that the righteousness that the bad news has made so clear that we are all in desperate need of, that righteousness is now revealed to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ apart from the law. I spoke to this statement at length last week. What does the Apostle Paul mean when he says apart from the law. It's important to see what Paul is saying. And perhaps it's good to reiterate what he is most definitely not saying. He is not saying that now God has derived a new way of righteousness in Jesus Christ. The law was the old way of righteousness. We failed to do that well enough, so God has come up with another way a better way in the personal work of Jesus Christ. He wouldn't say that. Paul is saying that now Jesus Paul is saying that now Jesus Christ has been revealed. He is the righteousness that man so desperately needs, and that he always has been. The law and the prophets have always pointed towards him as the only solution for what truly ails us. Before, he was anticipated. He was being waited for. But now, he has been revealed, made manifest. So, apart from the law cannot be that he is an entirely new way of righteousness. We must, we, we must remember what the law was for. The law was never given to establish us as righteous. 
Rather, it was given to show us our own unrighteousness. The law establishes the bad news, our condemnation, and it leaves us without defense. It shuts every mouth that would vainly vocalize any kind of opposition to it, and it leaves us resting our defenses in stunned silence. That's what the law does. It was not plan A which failed, thus establishing the Lord Jesus Christ as plan B. The law did not fail. It did exactly what its design was to do. And it still does not fail to do exactly what it was designed to do. We measure ourselves by its perfect standard and we see clearly that we miss the mark. It's the first part of one glorious plan of redemption for the people of God. We come to it and we see very clearly that there is no distinction in people who come to the law for measure. Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. Jews and Gentiles alike. All fall short of the standard of perfection that is required by a holy God in this holy law. You and I fall short. You and I are sinners. And as such, we stand condemned by the law. By this point, beloved, I trust that you see it truly is a fool's errand to stand as if you do not. We need the perfect righteousness that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. The righteousness that is His. Only He kept the law's demands perfectly. Only He is truly without spot or blemish. We need what He has or there's no hope for it. Paul tells us how that righteousness is made our own. It is appropriated by faith. We must understand that faith is not something that we dig down deep within our souls to find. We do not stir up faith from some hidden vault being within the being of man. Faith is God's supernatural gift those whom he has declared as his own. He gives it to us freely by grace. Apart from our own attempts at obedience, apart from our own supposed law works. God gives faith, and faith is the instrument through which we embrace every word of God's truth, through which we live in celebration of the good news of the gospel through which we supernaturally trust that Jesus Christ is the full culmination of every promise of God revealed to us in the pages of His Word. Through faith, we know Jesus Christ and we embrace Him as being entirely sufficient to meet our most desperate need, a need to be reconciled to our God and reconciled entirely. The righteousness of God is displayed in the gospel apart from our obedience. Apart from our merits. Beloved, it is a righteousness which is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
His righteousness is imputed to us, that is, it's charged to our account, and now we stand before the face of Almighty God as if we had never sinned, and as if all the obedience which Jesus accomplished for us were truly our own obedience. Beloved, that is good news indeed. All our sin, which is undeniable, is entirely forgiven on account of Him. Not simply the sin which was yours prior to the Holy Spirit opening your eyes, but the sin you committed this morning, the sin you committed yesterday, the sin that I promise you'll commit in the future. All of it is forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Him, you have been declared the righteous sons and daughters of our most high God. Beloved, I hope that as we dig even further into that precious truth once again this morning, that it will give your heart cause to sing His praises. Not just today, but for the rest of your pilgrimage upon this earth as you steadily progress towards your eternal home. To lay aside forever what is corruptible and to take on for eternity what is incorruptible. This doctrine, justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, solely because of the grace of God alone, really is the fuel that all of us need to live what we call the Christian life. So let's give the Word of God our full attention once again this morning and follow along as I read. Romans 3, verses 21 through 26, and we continue to come to grips with the amazing nature of the salvation that is ours through faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hear now the word of our Lord. Paul writing says, But now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the word of our Lord and may He always bless the Heavenly Father, again, we're grateful this morning for the opportunity and the privilege that we have to come before your word and be fed. We pray that your spirit would fill us this morning. We pray, Father, that you would allow us to give our undivided attention to the wonderful truth of your word, and that hearing that word through the power of your spirit, we would be transformed by that word through your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Just a few weeks ago, I encouraged all of you to go to our own confessions, to the three forms of unity. 
and to see what wonderful nourishment for our souls there is to be gleaned there from the expounding upon of this wonderful doctrine of justification by faith. Last week we looked briefly at it in question and answer number 60 of the Heidelberg Catechism. It is there laid out for us in absolute beautiful clarity, but it's found elsewhere in our confessions as well. And one of those confessions that I recommended to you directly a few weeks ago was the Belgic Confession of Faith. Articles 20 through 23 deal directly with this doctrine of justification and give to us a thoroughly biblical framework through which to understand the significance of what we are confessing here in this doctrine. And I hope that you've been able to look at that. And if you have not, I hope that you will, you certainly will. If you've looked at them, then you know that Article 23 directly quotes this 24th verse of Romans chapter 3, which is before us as our text this morning. 23 is subtitled, wherein our justification before God consists. And it says it this way. We believe that our salvation consists in the remission of our sins for Jesus Christ's sake. Therein our righteousness before God is implied. As David and Paul teach us, declaring this to be the blessedness of man, that God imputes righteousness apart from works. And the same apostle says that we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we always hold fast this foundation, ascribing all glory to God, humbling ourselves before him, and acknowledging ourselves to be such as we really are without presuming to trust in anything in ourselves or in any merit of ours, relying and resting upon the obedience of Christ crucified alone, which becomes ours when we believe in Him. This is sufficient to cover all of our iniquities and to give us confidence in approaching to God, freeing the conscience of fear, terror, and dread without following the example of our first father, Adam, who trembling attempted to cover himself with figures. Verily, if we should appear before God, relying upon ourselves or any other creature, though ever so little, we should, alas, be consumed. Therefore, everyone must pray with David, O Lord, do not enter into judgment with your servant. For in your sight, no one living is righteous. Beloved, with that understanding of what is implied in this wonderful verse before us this morning, I trust that you see the significance of it for living what we would call the Christian life. This truly does get to the essence of it. I think that if more people really understood exactly what Paul is saying, then we would see this verse, Romans 3.24, being held up on signs at ball games every bit as often as we see John 3.16. In fact, this 24th verse before us this morning helps us to understand exactly why it's such a big deal 
that God gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in Him should have eternal life. This verse, which we could spend weeks and months unpacking, teaches us some cr crucial truths that we must come to grips with. If we are ever to live as those who are grateful to God for the amazing salvation that we've been given in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm only going to point out three of them this morning. But I want you to understand that we are barely just scratching the surface of this glorious truth. The first thing that we see here is the answer to a question that truly ought to be asked by every man, woman, or child who hears the good news of the gospel. And that is, what is salvation? What is salvation? Paul gets to the heart of it. He says that those who have looked upon Jesus Christ and his righteousness through faith those who have seen their own unworthiness, their own sinfulness, their own falling far short of the glory of God, they are justified. Paul is speaking primarily of the declaration made by God himself. When he says that we are being justified, he's saying that we are being declared by God as those who are righteous. Now we have to understand what that means. He's not saying that we are made perfectly righteous, or that we are free from any sin, but that now God regards us as righteous and declares us to be righteous in His Son. Justification itself does not transform us into perfectly righteous beings. It is a declaration by God concerning us. It's not something that we do. It's something that is done to us. We have been made righteous in the sense that God now regards us as righteous and pronounces us, declares us as righteous. You understand? So if you're sitting here this morning and you find yourself thinking, Steve, I don't think you understand. I cannot possibly do. Because you see, I'm still very much involved in struggling with my sin. You must see that you have missed the point in time. And in doing so, you have missed the good news, if that's the way you're thinking. You have missed the peace that passes all understanding. You have missed the rest and the comfort and the joy that God has declared are yours in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have missed what God has given you in His Word for your own blessed assurance, for your own confidence in this life. I want you to listen to the Apostle Paul. God has declared you righteous, though you are not righteous. He has declared you righteous through your union with Jesus Christ, and He now sees you as righteous and he has done it without staining his own righteousness, his own justice in any way. You see why Paul would be overjoyed to declare that in the gospel, not only is the power of God for salvation revealed, but also in it the righteousness of God is revealed. 
And if you get that, then you know that being justified is salvation. What is salvation? It's being justified. It's being declared righteous by God Himself. It is salvation from the prosecution's slam dunk case against you. Against your sin. It is salvation from the horrible reality of the bad news. You are a sinner. And you continue to sin. And the law condemns you at every turn. And by the wonderful grace of Almighty God, apart from your works, the law, apart from your works, you are declared righteous by the judge of heaven and earth. He names you righteous in and through his son. Notice here that Paul uses the present tense. He does not say that you were declared righteous when you first believed. And that if you just stay in the course, he will continue to declare you righteous. He does not say that you will be declared righteous. Implying that if you do the right things, then one day, at the final judgment, he will declare you righteous. No, Paul uses the present tense. He is saying, beloved... That you are declared righteous. You are declared righteous now. Just as you are. You are being declared by the God of heaven and earth to be righteous if you are clinging to his son and to his work by faith. Beloved, that should cause joy to well up in every heart. Salvation does not come at the end of your struggle with this flesh. When you have finally and fully proved yourself, salvation is now. Salvation is now. It's not simply some future hope. It's right now. In this moment. It was coming to see the glorious truth that so changed. It was coming to see this glorious truth that so changed a man like Martin Luther. Man whose work was celebrated. He was a man that wrestled with having anything like assurance or confidence of his standing with God. You've probably all heard the countless stories of how Martin Luther would absolutely wear out his fellow priests with his lengthy confession of sin. We kind of laugh at it when we think about Martin Luther wearing another man out. Just sin after sin after sin until somebody just says, oh, Martin, make it stop. But I want you to understand this morning, they were desperate attempts on his part to get right with God. If you don't understand the doctrine of justification, you ought to be exactly like Martin Luther. You ought to be wearing out anyone who will listen with your constant confession of sin. Because if you don't understand your justification, you need to get right with God in some way. Hour after hour after hour, Martin Luther would try in vain to make certain that he covered it all. But it seemed as if there was never enough time to get it all. He lived in dreadful fear of the God who he knew in death. He had nothing like peace. Nothing even remotely like comfort or joy was a reality for him in that part of his Christian experience. 
He sought absolution from the church through her ceremonies and her activities, and it was never enough. Then one day, the light shined forth on his understanding of this wonderful truth that he was being justified freely by the grace of God through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. And he was filled with joy. He was relieved to know that salvation was and is right that he is declared righteous by God now, despite his sin, on account of what Jesus Christ did. Beloved, this truth here is, in this verse, is part of what ignited the Protestant Reformation that we've been celebrating for over 500 years now. The Reformation that we're celebrating even together this morning. We are justified now in Jesus Christ by faith, because of God's amazing grace. The second thing that I think we have to see here is that Paul not only tells us what salvation is, being declared righteous by Almighty God Himself, but he tells us how it is that such a salvation can be ours. Look at what he said. And we see that this amazing salvation is given freely by grace. Both of those words deserve some consideration. What is meant by the word freely? It's a word that has caused much confusion in the storied history of the church. Many have come to this word and assumed that it means that there is no cost associated with it. Salvation is given freely. It's only part of the picture, and really it does not do justice to the picture that the Apostle Paul is painting for us here. Certainly, salvation is free in the sense that we cannot purchase it ourselves. It is given freely to us. But there most certainly was a cost for our being justified. God's own justice demanded it. The law not only shows to us that we are lawbreakers by nature, but it also tells us of the penalty that must be exacted because of our transgression being justified, our salvation most certainly costs something. It costs the Lord Jesus Christ his life. It costs our Lord his precious blood. The awful death upon the cross its cost is inestimable. How do you measure that? The Son of God laying aside the glory that was his with the Father, becoming incarnate born into an overcrowded, filthy, wretched stable, laid in a trough for the animals to eat from, suffering a lifetime, and ultimately dying upon a crude cross of wood. The cost is unthinkable. So what on earth does Paul mean by freely? It's interesting, the Greek word that Paul uses here and is translated here as freely is the word doreon. It's the same word that John uses in his gospel in the 15th chapter. And there Jesus is explaining to his disciples why they will be persecuted. And he tells them to know that the world hated him from the beginning and that if they were of the world, the world would love its own. But they are, of course, not of the world. 
Jesus has chosen them from the world to bear, to be his and to bear the fruit of knowing him. So he says to them in verse 25, But this happened, that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law, they hated me without cause. That word translated without cause is the same word translated in this text in Romans as freely. Salvation is given freely in the sense that it is given without cause in you. You understand? You did not choose God. God chose you. You did nothing to cause the eye of God to turn in your general direction. You did nothing to sort of stand out as the super righteous one. You might be able to do big things for the kingdom if God could just get you on his team. Beloved, listen. All the benefits received in this exchange belong to you solely because of grace. You have nothing within you to benefit God. He has everything you need for your own benefit. Beloved, do you see how it is impossible to hear Paul here and walk away feeling as if you have something to offer God in this exchange? He gives us salvation without cause in us. Why? His grace, the unmerited goodness and favor of God, which He gives to those who only deserve His wrath, His punishment because of sin. We see the glorious nature of this salvation. Salvation is salvation here is ascribed solely to the grace of God. Where is there room for boasting? Where is where in this picture of the salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ do we see anything like a call for pride in who we are or in what we do? Paul says we are justified without cause solely because of the amazing grace of God. Nothing in us deserves it. In fact, we deserve the opposite. What makes it grace. Unless, of course, you can prove yourself sinless. And in so doing, prove God and His Word to be entirely wrong. How do we neglect this wonderful truth? Well, beloved, we fall prey to the system of what has been referred to as the gospel aid. You know what that is? In Galatians, it sounded something like, well, yes, of course you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus and circumcision. You must put circumcision in there. You know, God demands it. You say, well, yeah, that sounds bad, but, you know, that was a long time ago. We've certainly progressed beyond that now. I mean, who claims the circumcision? Okay, so let me try this again. Well, of course I am saved by faith in Jesus Christ solely by the grace of God and the good Lord knows that I have tried my best to keep this law. I've had good intentions. That counts for something. Certainly, I mean, I do better than most. Look at my life. 
Look at what I've given up. What I've sacrificed. Look at the way that I stand up sort of bravely and protest evil. Look at the way I seek the good and I deprive myself of certain things. I'm not bragging, but you know, God knows how hard I work. Look at my record of service. Look at my modesty. Fill in whatever else you think it is that commends you before the God of the universe. We always will find a way to make it the gospel and something that we do. We always try to marry this wonderful grace with our works. What a waste of time. We foolishly believe that it will be better that way. At least in terms of our assurance, our confidence, we just have something tangible to cling to. Look again at what Paul is saying here. Because there really is a, a contrast here with the law and grace. It's not as though there were no grace in the law, but what the law was gracious in teaching us, namely that we miss the mark all of the time by a much larger margin than we pretend. The law was powerless, and the law still is powerless to fix. But now, says the Apostle Paul, there is the grace of God. Revealing to us the long-awaited solution to the problem that the law could only illuminate and magnify. the third and final thing that I want for us to look at here this morning in this verse. What is salvation? It's being declared righteous by God despite our unrighteousness on account of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we get that salvation? Freely, without a cause in us, solely by the grace of Almighty God. And finally this morning, what is it that is revealed to us by God's grace? A wonderful redemption is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, the entire Bible is about redemption. This redemption through Jesus Christ is the grand theme of all of Scripture. Paul is seeking in this wonderful Christ-exalting epistle of sacred Scripture to drive that point home. Full redemption in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. What does it mean to be redeemed? It means that we have been purchased. Specifically, to be purchased from something to something. It's a word that's synonymous with ransom. It's a price paid for the complete freedom of one who is in complete bondage. We are in bondage to sin. However, Jesus Christ paid our ransom in full with his blood so that we now belong to him. His yoke is easy whose burden is not. He purchased us and he's fully satisfied for all of our debts. He was uniquely qualified to do so and he did so willingly. He did so through the laying down of his own perfect life for ours. Why? Because, beloved, though everything about us is unlovable, he first loved us. Because of the grace of Almighty God, He redeems the unlovely 
and he makes them beautiful in his sight. We see the riches, the pure treasure lost in my Salvation was more than just a word uttered by God. He took action. He redeemed us through the Son. Jesus Christ is the means of our salvation. It is His obedience, His sacrificial death, His resurrection, Him and Him alone that makes it all possible. Our sin could not have been just turned away from and ignored. God's justice, His righteousness demanded satisfaction. It demanded a payment, and that payment was made in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. What a salvation. Jesus did so much more than just come to this world and tell us how much God loved us. He came and He laid down His life as a ransom for many. Those are His own words in Matthew 20, verse 28. Peter in 1 Peter says it this way, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, he was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Through him, believed in God, raised him from the dead, and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Beloved, I ask you, what are your faith and your hope in this morning? Do you see clearly what has been given to you by the grace of God, apprehended by faith, which is his gift to you to bring it home? gets the glory. Beloved, if by the grace of God you know that it is ridiculous to think that you deserve even a small piece of the glory in this scenario and praise God this morning and live like one who sees the true value of this gift of salvation. All glory belongs to God and Jesus Christ. What love, what mercy. What grace. Live in light of the gospel. Live a life of thankfulness before Almighty God for this gift. And stop foolishly thinking that you need to just add your own peculiar piece to the puzzle of your salvation. Live in complete, awestruck appreciation for what has been done for you in the Lord Jesus Christ despite what it is that you actually bring to the table. Beloved, if you see it, then you can truly say what we just said in the hymn leading up to this sermon. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound indeed. What a powerful verse of sacred scripture. Almighty God and His providence has given us here in Romans 3.25. Do you hear What is your response to this magnificent grace?